be looking at a passage which is in the lexicon reading from Luke chapter 17, 11 to 19. But maybe before we get there, it's the story of Jesus healing the ten lepers. Can anyone ask me a question? Does anyone remember or know when St. Patrick's Day was celebrated in May? <laughs> what? That's right. <laughs> Very impressive. 2001. Foot matter breaking the UK, threatened into Ireland as well, and it was at the beginning of the year, so St. Patrick's Day and everything else was cancelled. Uh, and then we celebrated on the 17th, 18th, and 19th of May that particular year. We wouldn't, for any reason, completely cancel, just postpone <laughs> any kind of a party. Uh, I remember the events in 2001 a little bit. But I lived in Dublin during that time, so it probably didn't have as much impact on me. But in the late 60s, there was also an outbreak uh, of foot and mouth disease, which I have perhaps uh, early memories of, sometimes vague, but some of them very vivid. Vivid memories of uh, nervousness around the farm in Termerfeck. Uh, straw spread out across all the gates and entryways of the farmyard uh, with disinfectant on So everyone who walked in or any tractor or vehicle that came in had to cross that to be disinfected as it went in or out. Uh, I remember things like, you know, going shopping, uh, which was kind of a social event. But now simply became utilitarian. You went, you did the shopping, you got back. You didn't really uh, talk to anyone or interact with other farmers unless it was necessary. I remember us moving the cattle from the perimeters field of the farm into the center so they wouldn't over a hedge interact with our neighbors in case they had fucking mountains. Folk like even the vet coming to visit was hesitant, <laughs> even though they should know more about the process of disinfecting than anyone else. And cattle dealers certainly uh, are, in, ironically, our local cattle dealer in the day was Larry Goodman when he drove a truck, a cattle truck, rather than what he does these days. Um, but no, not nowhere near the farm. Hesitation, concern, the whole. Farm and community in rural Ireland became isolated and fearful. If you watch some of the images of complete herds of cattle having to be done away with, and uh, seen grown men cry who had all their lives built up a herd and it would have to be uh, destroyed because of foot and mouth. The concept of leprosy has similar images to that, where people are isolated. We'll talk about a little bit about that today, as Jesus continues his journey from Galilee to Samaria and on to Judea. As he passes the border between Galilee and Samaria, he meets ten men with leprosy. In the ancient world, lepers were sent away from the towns and villages. They lived in isolation. They had a responsibility as they walked around to cry, unclean, unclean, to let others know that they should create space for them. 
because they were contagious. Perhaps a lesser feeling to that might be, I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, one of two things. One, getting a note home from school uh, that someone in the school had lice. <laughs> Your parents remember those experiences. Even thinking of it makes you itchy, right? <laughs> Uh, worse yet, getting a note sent home that it was your child, <laughs> and please you know, keep them home until this is dealt with, uh, and we're letting all the other parents know uh, the shame of it all. I've been over the last couple of weeks, been watching a series on National Geographic on the Ebola outbreak, the hot zone. And that kind of contagious disease that people become quite concerned about. This was even worse than leprosy, where you just become fearful. A whole nation can close down. People who were friends now, in a sense, become enemies because you don't want any interaction. It's in this context that we enter into Luke chapter. 17 and Jesus interacting. Let me read what I'll do this morning is I'm going to read our way through the text and comment as I go and then I'm going to make a few observations about what's happening in the context. Verse 11 of Luke chapter 17. Uh, chapter, yeah, verse 11 of Luke chapter 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. These men had no hope. It wasn't like the flu, you know, and uh, it'll go away in a week or two. Chances are, in the ancient world, leprosy was a life sentence. And then in verse 14 it says, And when Jesus saw them, he said, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Here it is picking up the kind of religious requirement of the day. If you were to go back to the regulations of Leviticus in the Old Testament, you would find that this was requirement. If you had a contagious disease of any kind, your requirement was if it was healed in any way to go to the priest and they would verify it. What's very interesting in verse 14 is the language that's used. And it's quite specific. It says at the end of verse 14, and as they went, they were healed or cleansed. It doesn't say when Jesus said, you're cleansed or cleansed. He says, go to the priest. And it would appear that that in and of itself didn't solve the problem. It was when they acted upon that. As Jesus here commenting on some form of expression of faith on their part, that they believed him and went to see the priest, and as they acted in faith or obedience, that healing came to them. We'll come back to that. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And then we're told that he was a Samaritan. Only one returned. Jesus says this in verse 17 in response to that. He says, Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? 
Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise up and go. Your faith has made you well. So there is a question on Jesus' part. Where are the other nine? Why has one just returned? But not only that, the very kind of last comment that's made here, rise up and go, your faith has made you well. Uh, it's a very specific language again used. It's not just has cleansed you, but has made you whole, complete. Salvation is indicated here. It's not just that you are healed, but you are made well and right with God in response to returning and giving gratitude. So there's a number of questions that are raised for us as a result. So why did only one show gratitude and return to praise God? The others did not. It's worth us asking, can we blame the other nine? After all, they were just doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Go and see the priests. And have it verified that you are been cleansed or acting according to the law. Maybe they were heading off to their local synagogue to praise God there. I suspect, without doubt, they were excited and caught up in the opportunity to see their families again, their wives, their children, their parents, whom perhaps they hadn't seen for years. So let's look at a few things in the text and see if we can understand a little bit more what's happening here. I think I want to, Jesus points out two things, and I think they're worth pointing out with regards to this issue of the nine versus the one. Jesus points out very deliberately that nine did not return, verse 17. We're not ten cleansed, where are the other nine? And he also points out something that's quite specific, and that is that the one who has returned is a foreigner. We're also told in the text that he is a Samaritan. It seems to me that those two pieces of information are important for the writer and for us, therefore, as well. So let me ask a couple of questions. Well, first let me comment. I was reading a piece by Brené Brown, who does a lot on the whole area of vulnerability and also on gratitude and other things. It's worth checking out some of the things she has to say on gratitude, because that's, it's quite important to get a larger picture than I'll be able to give you this morning. But she says this. She says that the thing that separates entitlement from privilege is gratitude. If you're wondering whether you consider your life to be one of entitlement or pure privilege before, then one of the best places to judge that or to measure that is in the context of gratitude within your heart. Is it possible that the others, as Galileans, and therefore good Jews felt that they were entitled to be healed. Maybe because Jesus likewise was a Galilean. You know, as we say in Ireland, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And he's from the same place I'm from, so he owes me by some form of extended obligation to me. The Samaritan, on the other hand, in a sense, was far from the Jewish system. There were outcasts in many ways. And for him, 
To be healed was a privilege. There was probably no expectation as to why should this Jesus, a rabbi and a Jew, heal him. God did something for him that he did not deserve. Therefore, we see thankfulness and gratitude expressed by him. I think I've told you some of the stories of my children, uh, the one about magic words. Uh, we did. We, we, we tried, my wife and I, to teach our children manners. That wasn't always successful. You know. But we did try. I remember on one occasion we had a visitor, a friend of mine from the States was visiting, and one of our daughters, she remained nameless to protect the guilty, um, we're sitting around the table. And you know, she says, pass the salt. There wasn't a sign of manners in the anywhere. Right? But it gets better than that. The visitor who had the salt close to him looked at her and said, and what's the magic word? And if you've ever been to America, he was looking for a please or a thank you. She looked at him. She looked at me and I could see it, the gears moving in her head because she had never heard that phrase before. And she looked back at him and she said, Abracadabra. <laughs> I love it. I'm brilliant. You know, what else would it be? But please and thank you are powerful words. And they can shape our lives. They're not just words we speak. They're often words we live by. And I want to ask you this morning, do you live your life by please or thank you? 
See, going back over here, if religion is transactional, then life is lived by God. Please, please notice what I'm doing. Please notice that I came to church, or I did this, or I'm nice to my neighbor, or wherever else it may be. On the other hand, life can be lived by thank you, with that type of an attitude that's built in from that disposition of God, you have done so much for me. All I can do is live my life from thank you and return to you as much as I can. So which is it? So let me comment for a minute on maybe three things I think we see in the passage and may help us understand gratitude a little bit more. I think there's three things that can enhance our lives of gratitude and help us to live there more. And this week I've been reading some stuff from things like the Harvard Psychological Journal and stuff like that and there's lots of materials about actually how significant gratitude is to our physical and mental well-being. There's huge amounts of stuff in comparison to the opposite. So purely on a health basis it's worth considering. But and reading through some of that, I see some similar things in the text here. So let me comment on a few things. The first thing we notice about this Samaritan, it says, he saw that he was healed. Therefore, we assume the others didn't. They were still too wrapped up in going to the priest. And they went through life. And until they got to the priest at some later stage, they hadn't actually seen what God had done for them. And I think it's very important that we stop and look around. In the ordinariness of our days, sometimes we, we look for God in the huge things. Healing of leprosy is probably one of those. But the reality is, the Spirit of God touches our lives in ordinary ways every day. And sometimes we miss that. Are you grateful that you woke up this morning? Sometimes it can be that simple. Because in one sense there's no reason why you should. And the list goes on. That you can be here. And not persecuted as some others may be for gathering to worship or ill and stuck somewhere and you can't get out. There's all kinds of ordinary things in our lives. So we should stop more often and take stock of the things we are grateful for. To keep a journal. To pause just for a moment. You know, for a minute in the morning and a minute at night to say, what am I grateful for today? To consciously Pause in the busyness of our lives and take a little bit of stock the blessings that God has placed on us. Isn't it the old song, Count Our Blessings, Name Them One by One? The importance of that is actually quite significant. You know, because, you know, sometimes we, we miss God. In just the everyday occurrences of life. 
the interaction with an individual, the means by which something worked out that we have been working on and we think perhaps like the others, it's interesting, it says, and as they went, they got healed or cleansed. Sometimes we think we're in the middle of doing all of this and we miss the importance of the presence of God with us there every day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived a very tough life, particularly near the end of his life when he returned to Nazi Germany and seeked care for people there uh, in the midst of very troubling times, he said this, in ordinary life we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give. And that is only when and that is only with gratitude that life becomes richer. That we receive a great deal more than we give. I remember in the middle of the recession, uh, in the last decade, that uh, we, the whole country often complained about how bad it was. It struck me though, reading an article one time, that 95% of the people in the world would have changed places with it wasn't that bad. And part of the difficulty of that process is sometimes the blessings of God, sometimes the things which we should be grateful for and perhaps even are grateful for can be a hindrance to our ongoing gratitude. I remember reading in the paper one time that, you know, I think it was somewhere around 2011 they were saying things were now as bad as they were back in 2001. But back in 2001 nobody was complaining. Back then everyone thought it was good. It was just that we had got better and then returned that we therefore felt it was bad again. So it's interesting. It's perspective, it's understanding the world in which we live. And as I said, it cannot be in the big and special things that we only express gratitude. We must be able to stop in the ordinary things of life and see. And it is not, it is not that joy comes as a result or let me get this right. It's not that joy brings gratitude. I'm happy, therefore, I should be grateful. No, in fact, it's gratitude that brings joy. If we pause long enough to examine our lives like this Samaritan did, then we can see the joy in our lives. I believe it was St. Augustine who, having been robbed, wrote these words. He said he was thankful. He was thankful that the robber only took his coat and not his shirt or his tunic, as he said in those days. He was thankful that the robber only took his money and not his life. But he said most of all, he said he was thankful that he was robbed and not the one doing the robbery. There for the grace of God to lie. To be aware of the grace of God in our lives and what He does for us every day. Have you ever thought about what your life would be like if it was separated from God? 
Where would you be now, apart from God? That should make us more grateful, I believe. So I want to encourage you this morning, I want to encourage myself to stop. And look around for the things for which we are living. Notice them more often. I think that present language is to be a little bit more mindful. But the Bible speaks of meditation. To meditate on things, to think about His Word and the blessings and those kind of things in our lives. We should do more of that. Secondly, the Samaritan turned back. And I think it is that our gratitude should not just show itself in kind of a thought. It must translate into some kind of an action. The realization of the blessing of God in our lives and gratitude to that should change the direction of our lives. That's it did the Samaritan. He was heading in a direction, realized he was healed, cleansed, and chose to turn back and move to go back and praise God. It, there must be some form of expression. Do something about it. And thirdly, it's interesting what it says he did. It says he praised God and he thanked Jesus. Two separate things. And I think it's the same for us. We need to be able to praise God for things that come into our lives for which we are grateful. But it doesn't just stop there. It should work itself out in the people God used, or the, that God used in our lives to bring about change. The reality is, most often, God uses someone with skin on them to touch our lives. And we should thank them. It's not just praising God for the blessing, but also thanking those who allow themselves to be used of God. To be a conduit or to deliver that blessing to us. I read, someone, read something about a chap who was a waiter in a restaurant. And he was, he was told that he didn't like to see people who stopped and prayed before them. And someone asked him, why? He said, well, he said, often, he said, if they stop and pray, they're Christian, all of that, they have an important relationship with God, he said, they tend, they tend not to tip as well. <laughs> Interesting. <coughs> See, they praise God for the gifts he has supplied, but not the individuals who brought them, who supplied them. And we can be that way as well. Most often, God uses the people around us to bring blessing. And we should express our gratitude to death. It's interesting, the phrases that is used of this Samaritan. He praises God and he thanks Jesus. Now, it's a little bit confused in this case because Jesus and God turn out to be the same person and all that. But nonetheless, Jesus as the human being who walked in Galilee 2,000 years ago becomes the means by which God blesses this Samaritan. And therefore, yeah, we shouldn't feel, feel in awe or praise the people 
who God uses. Well, we should thank them. And Christians aren't always very good at receiving thanks either. You know, uh, when I taught at IBI, one of the passages, one of the subjects I thought was public speaking or preaching, and uh, always this issue of, you know, <coughs> how do you, and this isn't leading you up to be nice to me afterwards, but I just want to comment on how do you praise someone for a good sermon? You know? I have a friend who's a preacher. He's a little bit mean, I think, because people say to him, oh, pastor, minister, great service. Great sermon. I really enjoyed that. And he says to them, and what part of it did you like? You know, and then they're going to get lost, you know, because they're not too sure uh, about that. So I wouldn't suggest that. And I won't do that to you, no. But on the other hand, uh, you know, I think it's important in a sense to be specific and to get the things right. If I've been touched by a sermon or something someone has done, I would often say, thank you very much for that. I really appreciate that you allowed God to use you this morning to bless me. And I think that's getting things in the right order. The individual themselves necessarily wasn't the one who blessed me. But they certainly allowed God to work through them. And I think that's what happens here. He came back to praise God and thanks Jesus. And I think both of those are actually important. We need to do them both well. Um, without getting, uh, allowing people to get too big of a head. This has been said, and I'll close with this because the group wants to come back up. Uh, it's been said to be thankful for what you have, or grateful for what you have, you'll end up having more. But if you concentrate on what you don't have, you will never ever have more. And I think that's true. Let me read, just in closing, five verses from the Psalm Prophecy card, a reading for this week in the lexicon overall. It's Psalm 66, and these are the first five verses. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise for your name. Come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds for mankind. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are active in our lives. You're active through the work of your Holy Spirit. You're active in the work of other individuals in this church, in part of this fellowship, or in other aspects of our lives. And Father, we thank you for those individuals. I pray, Father, you would make us more aware of your dealings with us every day, and that we would stop and take stock and see your blessing and grow more grateful in our hearts every day. For Father, you have done for us through Jesus Christ that which we don't deserve.